Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Elevation podcast series presented by the Colorado PGA. This week, we will be elevating our knowledge of financial literacy and money. My name is Holly Champion, and I'm the Player Development Director for the Colorado PGA. I'm joined by our co-host, Keith Soriano, PGA professional and the career consultant for the Colorado and Utah PGA sections. We are joined by two guests this week, Matt Stewart, a former PGA member who left the golf industry to enter wealth management with Northwestern Mutual, where he developed strong, genuine relationships built on trust. Matt's mission is to help bridge the gap in our education system regarding financial literacy in order to help people create successful futures. And Ryan Harris, a 10-year veteran of the NFL and member of the Denver Broncos Super Bowl 50 championship team. Ryan also played college football at the University of Notre Dame, where he graduated with two degrees, one in economics and policy and the other in political science. Off the football field, Ryan believes that together we can change the world and that it's your right to be extraordinary. Please enjoy this episode of the Elevation Podcast. Ryan, looking at a couple of your um, portfolios and the things that you've done in the past, both of you are obviously very attuned with financial literacy and kind of creating your own empire, creating your own secure future. Um, Matt, we'll start with you. Just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and what financial literacy means to you. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Holly. Um, you know, a uh, brief background on me. I grew up in, in Pennsylvania, about an hour west of Philly. <laughs> Um, like a lot of the listeners, I'm an avid golfer. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for, for a career go up in a small town. Um, and so I ended up researching a bunch of the PGM schools to go there. I looked at, um, Penn state and coastal Carolina university. Um, I went and visited both of them and the, uh, the gentleman at, at coastal Carolina said, uh, you know, would you rather be in happy Valley in the wintertime or Myrtle beach in the wintertime? So that's why I ended up choosing coastal Carolina, hundred golf courses and, uh, much better weather. So anyway, I went to coastal Carolina. I graduated with a bachelor's in marketing and then also got my, uh, you know, did a PGM program and got my class A PGA accreditation in, in 2005 when I graduated. Um, uh, you know, as most of you know, the PGM requires, uh, internships. I did an internship at Lakewood country club in 2004. Um, and then I knew I wanted to come back to Colorado and Cherry Hills just happened to be hosting the U S women's open in 2005. And I'm like, well, if I want to work in golf and be in Colorado, I want to be at the best place there is. Um, and so I had a great connection to John Ogden, um, John hired me without even interviewing me, which was amazing of him. And then, um, ended up working at Cherry Hills for six years from 2005 to 2011. I was, um, worked for Clayton for three years when he was that pro. Then gentleman, John came back, um, three years for him. And then I, after, after Cherry Hills, I left and became the head golf pro at Fox Hill country club for, for just under a year. And then I uh, decided to change careers. I got into finance, um, and joined Northwestern Mutual and started my own business with them and aligned with, with them starting in uh, June of 2012. So coming up on eight years. Um, and, you know, part of the reason I got into this was I was super fortunate to have a lot of great financial role models in my life. And I know a lot of people aren't that fortunate. My dad at a young age, you know, was just great about teaching me about financial literacy and, and saving and investing. He helped me start a Roth IRA when I was 16. Um, 
and a lot of things that most people don't ex- get exposed to and, and you don't even get exposed to in school. So I, I think there's a huge gap in education system on financial literacy. And I mean, what I do every day is to talk to people about their financial planning and saving and investing. And, you know, really the number one factor in people's financial success comes from their behavior. And um, that's a big part of what I do is, you know, all the golf professionals out there, you guys are coaches for your the members and the the people at your the clubs that you're at, and I'm basically you know I'm a coach for people in their financial financial health. Awesome. And you know what does financial literacy mean to you? Well, I mean, I you know financial literacy. I mean, literacy just in general is having an understanding of what uh, I think what the opportunities are for you. Um, I think that first first and foremost is having kind of is having that awareness around what are the options. Um, you know, to be able to save and put money aside. And then after that, then it's, it's actually taking action, right? I mean, you know, you could know about this stuff all day long, but until you actually start implementing these things and, and living within your means and then investing in, in you know, goal-based investing, um, you know, so uh, first having an understanding and then two, taking, taking action on that, Holly. I think that's great. Um, and Ryan, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you're coming from a pretty unique perspective on finances, having, you know, a sports background and a professional sports background at that, a very successful one. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into finance from where you are, and, and same question, what financial literacy means to you. Yeah, well, thank you, Holly and, and Matt. Great to meet you. And thanks, Keith, for having me on and, and all you listening. You know, uh, financial literacy, it, to me, having a plan and being conscious about your money. It's as simple as that. Those two small things make a world of difference. And after graduating uh, from Notre Dame three and a half years with two degrees in political science and economics and policy, I was I was in debt $30,000 my first two seasons of the NFL, even though I made a, a $1.2 million. So I went through every problem and made every mistake someone can think about. And it was throughout my, I was very fortunate having a 10-year career uh, learn from those mistakes. Um, and also as a veteran in the NFL, just was tired of seeing a lot of the things that guys went broke on. And I've gotten phone calls to buy back used Mercedes, a used backpack even. And I just knew I wanted to be rich when I was 50. And and I was fortunate to have some some good people in my life. And, um, and, and kind of like Matt, you know, a lot came from my parents. My parents overall were the reason why I wanted to learn about financial literacy because they weren't weren't great at it, but my dad did teach me two, two important lessons. One, I was putting a candy bar on the conveyor belt in the grocery store when I was younger. He says, what are you doing? I, like, oh, I want a Snickers. He goes, you got Snicker money? I said, no. So he puts it back, and then he puts on a Milky Way. I said, well, what are you doing? I want a Snickers. He goes, well, I got Milky Way money. And that was just a lesson right there of like, well, I ain't never going to the grocery store without Snicker bar money anymore, you know? And, and then when I was after my rookie year in the NFL, you've got nothing to do. I mean, even in, in, in college and Matt, I know you know this as well. You've got class, you've got friends, but you know, I was just sitting every day done working out by 1130 playing video games till 10 and doing it again. I told my dad, I said, I need to do something. And one of the things he suggests, he says, take 500 bucks and put it in a Scott trade account. And I, I, I lie to you not, uh, I looked up this guy named Warren Buffet, and um, he said, <laughs> buy what you know. And uh, so I, I bought Apple, original Apple stock at 109. I bought Google, original Google stock at 320. Um, and I bought Netflix, which thank you, Netflix. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for coming, coming and using Netflix. And, um, and then uh, no joke, after I started investing, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. 
So, you know, the next the next couple of days, I go to Chipotle, wait 20 minutes in line, come back, CNBC's playing. Chipotle at a three-year low, the burrito craze is over. I'm like, dude, I just waited 20 minutes for that burrito. I ain't that, I go. So I bought original <laughs> Chipotle stock at 45 bucks, and I actually forgot about it. Um, and then that following season, I looked back, and it was just such a – there were so much gains, and I learned so much, so much of the language. And uh, that was really the catalyst for me, and knowing that I wanted to be wealthy, not rich. And, and wealthy looks – Wealthy doesn't look rich. And uh, so I always I would always show later on in my career guys who had, you know, hey, wanted to spend some money or, hey, man, I'm thinking about getting this chain. What do you think? I'd pull up a photo of Bill Gates in his purple polo and his in his shorts and say he ain't got no chains, you know. So just really <laughs> breaking out of the mold of a consumer culture and realizing the impact of leverage and understanding what leverage you can have from having financial literacy, having that plan and being conscious about how you spend your money and whether you do invest or not. Yeah, I think you make some great points. I, I saw your um, Snickers money on a YouTube clip that I looked up and I thought, if you don't bring that up, I'm going to. Uh, I love great that lesson. App. I love great, that. Great financial literacy Absolutely. right there. <laughs> yep. So, you know, how you both kind of mentioned having a plan. Um, Going into, you know, if, if somebody has not started their financial journey yet, they've not even thought about what they want to do in the next 30 days, let alone the next 30 years when they retire, um, how important is it to put that plan on paper rather than say, you know what, I want to be able to retire comfortably versus I want to be able to retire with X amount as a paycheck coming in every month so I can afford X, Y, and Z? Well, one, I'll just jump real quick, Matt. But, you know, when I shout out to screensavers back in the day when I was in college, I had 22 year old millionaire uh, all four years at college uh, on my on my computer screen. And it's interesting, you know, not only did I was I able to achieve that and I believe they say 70 percent, you're 70 percent more likely to achieve your goal if you write it down. But one of the things writing down your financial goals does is it makes you aware to what other people are doing. So when I said 22 year old millionaire, there are different times where I'd say, well, what do millionaires do? So reading the book, The Millionaire Next Door, reading uh, and looking at what people do with their money to become millionaires all came from just writing down my goal. And you know, I would add, um, you know, having written goals obviously is, is critically important. Um, but then I think to take, to take that into action is, is really the next step, right? And so whether that's, that's hiring a financial advisor, whether that's taking some resp personal responsibility and, you know, reading books, studying Warren Buffet as Ryan, discussed, <laughs> um, or, you know, Tony Robbins has a great book called Unshakable and, and another one called Money Master the Game, like really taking the time to engage with that. And then, you know, put, putting that plan into action. And a lot of times, need, you know, people need accountability, right? I mean, that's why we all have coaches. That's why Ryan had coaches at the Broncos. That's why Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods have golf coaches, right? We, we need those people in our lives to, to help us actually put, put those plans in action and sometimes even help us craft what those plans are. Because a lot of times people who, you know, I meet with, they don't even know where to start, right? I mean, they don't even know what, what the plan should be or how to allocate dollars or what their work benefits mean and, and how what benefits they should choose from work versus stuff that they should do on their own. So I really think having having a coach or or, or learning about it is, is a big part of that plan too, Holly. Yeah, I think those are great points for sure. Um, so, kind of looking at you know, 
I noticed a couple of things in both of your content um, to really build you know, financial literacy one, but a comfortable future for yourself. You don't have to have money to start. You know, Ryan, I heard that in a couple of your presentations, Matt, um, some of your profiles and stuff say the same thing. How would you tell somebody who, you know, like Matt, Keith, and I have all experienced the, you know, that first level of being a PGA assistant, you're running carts for, you know, you're hoping for 12 bucks an hour and hoping for tips. And, you know, as a college athlete, I'm sure you went through the same thing, Ryan, you just try to scrape by and, um, you know, we all start on the very, very bottom level of the income scale. How do you tell somebody who's making, you know, barely a living wage, say you absolutely can secure your future. You can save for retirement. You can do these things. You know, where, where would somebody in that position even start? I'd tell them the universal truth that doesn't get told enough. Saving money will be the hardest thing you do as an adult. And, and I tell people that all the time because what you're talking about, it's not everybody starts there. I mean, even if you get an inheritance, right, you didn't have the money and now you do. But when you realize that saving is a difficult thing to do, it gives you permission to face that versus, well, I've got the money to do something you know, uh, I'm just going to do it. If I didn't have the money, I'm, you know, it's one thing, but all of a sudden you start making money and you have choices. Well, do I want to live someplace with a good exercise room? Well, no one uses that, right? I want, do I want a place with a pool or do I, whoa, 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 you know, make sure you have your plan early and know that saving money is going to be the hardest thing to do. And to start, I always talk about, there's a massive difference between cost and price. That new phone's a thousand dollars, but that cost of that iPhone is your entire rent, your groceries, entertainment, any savings, and then that thousand dollars. So if you have no money, just start practicing seeing the the cost when you see the price of an item, even if it's just at the grocery store. That's awesome, Ron. Yeah, I agree. I think um, from my perspective, you you can't manage what you don't measure, right? And so many people. It, in, in the consumerism society that Ryan mentioned earlier in this conversation, it's really easy to get caught up in what everyone else is doing. And it's really easy to swipe a credit card and not know what you're spending every month, right? It's just part of our culture. And like I mentioned before, the number one factor in your financial success comes from behavior and finding a way to pay yourself first is super important. Um, I think that's, that's one key of it. You know, uncle Sam never misses taking taxes out of your paycheck and you should never miss a chance to save, even if it's 20 bucks a month or 20 bucks, whatever it is, just something to start building that discipline. It's always hard to, you know, if you stop going to the gym for a while, the hard to get, to get back into the gym. But once you do, it's a lot easier to get going back every single day. And then I also think too, like people, people need to make sacrifices in some respect, you know? It's sacrificing the new iPhone that maybe Ryan alluded to. It's, you know, buying, buying a home and having someone live with you, right. And having them pay you rent. I know when I first bought my, bought my first house, I always had someone living with me paying and they paid the vast majority of my mortgage and I was able to save a lot of money because of that. So finding, finding ways to pay yourself first, you know, not get caught up and you have to keep up with the Joneses. Um, and then making some sacrifices, I think are, are some of the keys and, and, you know, be humble. You don't need to start with a lot of money. Just getting started is a big part of just building that, that habit and discipline. Great points about, you know, Matt, I really like that. You can't manage what you don't measure. Um, you know, in my house, my, 
my husband is very laser focused on our finances and keeps a, you know, the most detailed spreadsheet I think I've ever seen for finances. So he knows where every penny goes and, but it, it makes us, you know, it makes it easier for us to make decisions that way. We can know exactly what everything looks like on a daily basis. If we need something or if an unexpected expense comes up, which I know a lot of people are dealing with at the time of this recording with the pandemic and having to stay home or you know being furloughed or losing their jobs, um, you know those unexpected expenses can really come up to to make a difference and and stuff like that. So, what would you say would be the best advice for somebody? to help prepare them for those unexpected things you know because i don't think any any of us knew what was going on with this um that you know so many people would be home um you never know when your water heater is going to go through your ceiling you never know when the tire is going to fall off of your car different things like that how do you how do you even prepare for the unknown Yeah. And that, that's the, that's the whole point of preparation is because we don't know what those are, what those things are, you know, what could come up along the way. And so, uh, failing to, uh, plan is preparing to fail. Right. And so, uh, you know, essentially, uh, I think it starts with the things that we, that Ryan and I just discussed, which is, you know, living within your means, starting to set aside some dollars, you know, understanding what your benefits are through work, if you have things like equity in your home, you know, does it make sense to have a home equity line of credit available as a backup emergency fund? You know, wh- whatever it might be, I think I think the main things are to uh, just you have to start saving initially in order to set yourself up to have that uh, that emergency fund and whatnot. And so, you know, we you know we would recommend you know in the neighborhood of you know a, a few months worth of expenses as an emergency fund. That's a general rule of thumb. Right. I mean, if your job is super volatile, then you probably want to have more. If your job is super safe, maybe you can have a little bit less. Um, but uh, building that up is is the number one factor, right? I mean, if you don't have that, then there's it's hard to fall back on anything else. So here. <laughs> well, and that behavior you're talking about, Matt. You know, I always tell people, how do you want to feel when you encounter unexpected? Because that piece of, well, I don't want to panic. I don't want to be strung out. I don't want to stress out my family. Okay, well, good. Well, here's what it's going to look like, you know. And, and I always tell people, take actual notice of people who you consider to be rich and who have a lot of things. How do they seem? Are they are they happy at home? Are they happy with their family? Are they always trying to reach up? I mean, these are things that are, are again, what Matt's talking about, behavioral things that you can start to say, well, if something bad happens, I want to be prepared. If something bad happens, I still want my kids to go to school. Or I still want to be able to drive my vehicle. And, and that can really start to shape how you how you behave. And, and one thing from this pandemic that uh, everybody now feels, which is something that NFL players get right away, right? You get released. You ain't got no money, homie. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like, you know, you're going to, to get some, you know, uh, to, to get that same amount of money. So NFL players encounter that so much earlier in their career. But at this point, everybody needs to know unexpected things happen and you have to be financially prepared. And if you're financially prepared, you can catapult yourself out of that unexpected expense. And, and even just, I mean, I've got three kids, but Forbes said that the average cost of a child is $235,000. So how do you want to feel when you hear that your that you're significant other and you are expecting a child? Do you want to be distraught and panicked because you need a better job? Or do you want to be like, good, I've been saving and 
you know, we can take some investments to create a baby nest, or maybe let's think about getting a condo or a home or a duplex. And these things really are ways to prepare and propel yourself for those unknown expenses, which everyone can tell you are going is going to happen. And unfortunately, now we have all of us have experience in that. Yeah, I'm sure Holly's feeling pretty good right now because she's due in July. Um, so she's got that, you know, with her with her husband having that financial spreadsheet, you know, they're they're prepared. Um, yeah. You know, you know, when we talk about planning, uh, you know, what I do with our PGA members and, and a lot of the people who are listening, not just PGA members, but superintendents and, and food and beverage folks, everyone that work in the industry, um, is help them plan their careers out, right? And uh, what I've learned from talking to hundreds of PGA members is finances come in so much play in making the decision of the next move in your career, right? I can't tell you how many members I've talked to who have, they've taken a job because the money was right, but it's not what they wanted to do. And and how good would it have been for them to be able to make a values-based decision on what job to go do that wasn't based on, I need the money, right? They could, you know, they could go get the experience that they want at the, at the place that they want to get the experience for a little bit less money. They weren't offering as much from a salary standpoint because they planned for, for that eventuality. So they're not, um, you know, paycheck to paycheck where it's got, you know, I got to make a little bit more, right? Um, you know, allows you to make smart decisions, uh, not only in your financial life, but but in your career. And I think that's that's so important for, particularly for the people listening. Um, and again, as Holly said, you know, at the time of this recording, there's, um, you know, that's, that's going to be significant. There's a lot of people out of work and there's going to be people trying to decide, you know, the people that can decide, I'm going to wait for the right opportunity that's going to make a difference long-term for my career as opposed to I'm going to take the next thing that comes down the road because I have to, because I got, I've got no savings. I've got nothing, got nothing in the bank and I got to do it. Um, there's a quality of life issue there that that's going to be affected. Also opportunity, you know, and I'll give you two examples of where being financially literate made me millions of dollars. And one of them, um, it was my eighth year in the NFL and I tried out for the Miami Dolphins and they were like, okay, we'll let you know. They didn't let me know for a few weeks, went then and tried out for the Kansas City Chiefs. They wanted to sign me. And so Miami called back and said, hey, well, we'll give you 60,000 more dollars than what they offer. Now, if I was broke, I'm going to Miami, which at that point they had two offensive tackles in the first round and, and Miami ain't winning ever. Right. So <laughs> it's like, OK, there's there's an example where because I was financially sound, I didn't need an extra sixty thousand dollars. I made a decision to stay with the Chiefs, ended up playing 15 games for them, playing in all 16 and then going back to the Broncos in 2015 and winning the Super Bowl. And then after that, I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And because I've been smart with my money and, and diversified and really had a plan and, and planning out growth is a part of this plan either, not just planning how to not spend money, right? Plan out your growth. I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers and they offered me a deal that was below market value. And I said to them something that later one of the front office people said, we've never heard this from a player, Ryan. And I, they gave me that offer. I looked him in the eyes. I said, I'll go home. I, I, I think it'd be great to play here, but I'll go home if this is what we're going to do. And the look on their faces of total shock was a great moment for me. Not as great as the moment where five minutes later, they came back in the room and offered me exactly what I wanted. So not only do does preparation allow you to have that quality of life you're talking about, Keith, but it also puts you in position to be more successful and find more opportunity. Yeah, I'll I'll echo that too. I mean, I when I changed careers out of golf, um, you know, I started a business. I wasn't getting a salary. I wasn't getting a paycheck. Um, I had to go out and and build it on my own. And uh, you know, there were plenty of times where you know it was tight, really tight for me financially. 
but because I had savings, it allowed me to invest in a, a, a business coach. It allowed me to bridge the gap um, between months where I didn't have income or had very little income. And it, it gave me the opportunity to invest in myself. And so I was super, super grateful to have that opportunity. Cause I think, you know, the number one investment you can make, you know, maybe aside from your relationships is investing in yourself, teaching, you know, helping yourself grow and whatnot. So I think Keith, to your perspective, you know, people, when they're looking at taking different jobs, there's a lot more to it than just the salary. And certainly you have to be able to have enough to pay your bills and, you know, hopefully put some of that away like we've been talking about, but looking at other parts of your compensation plan, you know, whether it's the 401k, the group insurances, um, educational stipends and those things like that. To Ryan's point, if you invest in yourself and and set yourself up for success, it can propel you even further. And I certainly was a benefactor of, of that as well. Um, so those are things I would look at as a PG, as PGA members when you're looking at, you know, opportunities to, to grow and take on different roles. Um, uh, look at other parts of your compensation, not just your salary. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the fringe benefits of, of any job really, um, you know, if you get a company car, if you get meals, if you get a uniform, if you get, you know, the extra 401k potential and investment potential, if you get company stock, um, you know, all of those things can really add up. And when you look at, oh, okay, well, that job's only got 45,000, but this other one's got 55,000, but the $45,000 job has all of the fringe benefits where the other one doesn't, um, you know, what's, which one's really the higher paid job and being able to line, line all that out, compare apples to apples, you know, which one is going to make the most difference. One of them's going to put more money in your bank account, but the other one's going to be better for your future and your family and, and things like that. So I think that's a really good point of what's, what's all encompassing there. And Ryan, to your point of costs, same thing. You know, if you're going to go buy a new car or buy a new phone or buy, you know, a new house, yeah, you've got the price of that item, but then you have insurance, then you have taxes, then you have the gas or the lawn maintenance, if it's a house or real estate, you know, it's, it's not just that upfront singular bill that you're going to pay. What's that going to cost you in the long run? And the bank's going to want you to think about just that beginning, right? The bank's like, hey, you're closing, you got your house, but... You talk about a house. One of the things I tell people to do, multiply out your payment, multiply out. Okay. What's 30 times 12. Okay. That's every month I got to pay this and I'm paying this. So this times my payment, look at how much money your loan is costing you. No one does that. And that's an inter- That's an, a concrete way for homeowners to see, wait a second, this house says 350,000, but I'm paying $560,000 by the end of this loan. I mean, what are we doing here? And that can really start some different conversations and just awaken you to how much money you're actually spending on the things that you either need or want. I agree. Cause there's, there's definitely an opportunity cost, right? Whether you're buying a new iPhone or a house, you know, the thousand dollars for a new iPhone, you put that into a Roth IRA and let that grow for the next 30 years without paying tax, you know, it actually cost you, let's just say $7,000 when you look at it from that perspective. So I think it's a great point you make Ryan about looking at what, you know, how the decisions today impact what your, your future, um, how that impacts your future. Kind of changing gears a little bit. I've seen a lot of different financial plans and things that say, you break down your income like this, you know, it's 30% for your housing, it's X percent for your vehicle, for this, for insurance, this for groceries, things like that. Um, And a lot of them say that there should be an 
a percentage every month or every year for charity. How important is charity to your long-term financial plan or to financial literacy in general? Uh, you know, I think it boils down to what Keith mentioned earlier. What are your values? You know, what's most important, what's most important to you? Um, you know, we, you know, from a financial planning perspective, when we're talking about, you know, budgeting, we use a principle called 20, 60, 20. So 20% of your income should go towards savings and investing on average. 60% should go towards essential living expenses. The other 20% towards discretionary. So um, I would say that whether it's tithing or whether it's, um, you know, given to charity, um, that's going to have to fit within your budget somehow. You're going to have to figure out what do I want to sacrifice in order to take care of this. If that's a value of yours and important to you, then you have to figure out what you're going to give up. I wouldn't encourage you to sacrifice your savings and investing in yourself because ultimately you being healthy um, financially is going to help you help others as well. There's, there's plenty of ways where you can give back. It doesn't have to necessarily be giving financially. You can go, you know, the, I work with a, a nonprofit that a former, uh, um, uh, Justin Kruger, who is the ping sales rep for Colorado that he started uh, project helping, you know, and you can give back in a lot of ways just by going to volunteer your time initially while you're building your emergency fund and your safety net. And then once you kind of get to the point where it fits within your budget, then certainly uh, I advocate for people to um, do that, but, but work within your budget there around, you know, and if understand what you're giving up to, to give the charity and does it make sense to, to give back in other ways? I really want to second that opinion uh, that Matt said. I mean, you know, it is it is it is easy to say, hey, I'm writing a check to support something, but give your time first. That's what I tell people. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're talking donations, you're talking about wealth planning, different than wealth management, different than wealth growth. I mean, if you're really talking about the impact in that way, you're talking about an entirely different way of looking at charitable charitable donations. And so I would I always tell people and they're like, "Hey, I want to, you know, be able to still support this charity." Absolutely great. And if it's a if it's a charity for literacy, is it better for them to get your $200 check or is it better for you to go and read with the kids and show them what an adult reading looks like? You know, also there are other ways to support your charity. Hey, you're at your company you know, maybe your company would like to sponsor a table at this charity. And now you didn't have to take any money out of your pocket, but you appeal to the senses of your business. And now you've been able to contribute or you brought somebody into the, to the charity that you, to love and support to bring a donation that would far exceed yours. So as a facilitator, you can do, you can make tremendous impact without spending a single dollar of yours and, and you can get, and, and you give your time, which I would say, and I'm sure Matt would agree at the end of the day is more valuable, you know, especially for charities who, who, who are on a budget. You know, you know, as well as I do from a dollars and cents standpoint, you know, the, the, the golf industry donates $4 billion a year to charity, right? I mean, we are, the people who are listening are part of this machine that creates a lot of goodwill and, and, and raises a lot of money for charity. And we do it through our works. You know, we do it through providing these opportunities for people to play and to raise money. Um, and, I, and I echo what these guys are saying. You know, for those of you that know that part of your values includes giving back, right? But you're but financially, you're not ready to, you know, dive in, you know, dive in with, with you, you know, get your you know, roll up your sleeves and get and get a little dirty and, and help out it so that way you can. Because if you can do that in lieu of giving out money now, it would, it would hurt you that you would potentially be taking away from your savings or your wealth growth. 
um, to just to make make yourself feel good about writing a check. Roll up your sleeves, do the work now, invest that money so you can do something like, you know, you can, you know, when when the time is right, you can go down to the, the elementary school down the street and say, you know what, I want I want to pay off every kid that's got a that's got a you know a balance on their lunch account. I want to pay it all off, right? That's when you can make those those kind of impacts. But you did it because you were you were um, you were generous with your time up front and smart with your money. Love it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, there's a lot of great ways golf pros can give back. I mean, I've been the benefactor, and Project Helping's been the benefactor of a lot of it through a lot of the great golf pros. I won't mention all your names, but have donate foursomes to. <laughs> You know, these things you can, you can give, uh, you know, help a, a charity who's doing a fundraiser, your, uh, your course, you know, give them a little bit of a discount in some capacity, certainly be responsible, whatever the board and, and, uh, you know, what the, what the needs are of the facility. But, uh, there's lots of ways of leveraging your social capital and your relationships to, to bring value, um, you know, without having to jeopardize your own personal finances. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was fortunate. My first, the first golf professional I worked for, who, who talked about this stuff, was Anthony Principato, and he didn't give me an option. He said, you're, "He's like, you're, you're you're participating in the company's 401k plan." He's like, "He's like, I'll fill it out and forge your signature if I have to, but you're but you're you're, you're investing." I said, "Okay, fine." Um, but we don't all have those kind of mentors in our lives. Um, for, so, you know, from a, a tactical standpoint, how do I get started? Like, if I if I'm if I'm a golf professional making 15 bucks an hour, if I'm making golf well, golf professional making $75,000 a year. And I haven't thought about this. Where's the best place to get started? You know, I'm sure Matt will give you the, uh, the tactical, you know what I mean? Uh, way in, in a structure, but I would say and start to invest buy one stock buy one share of one stock. And in going through that process, you will awaken yourself to a world in which you never knew existed, but a world you will quickly realize other people have been living in all around you. So by investing, even even if you buy a $30 stock, I think United Airlines right now is down at like $34, right? I mean, if you whatever airline you use or, or something like that, just buy one share. And I, I tell people, own what you buy. If you got an iPhone on Verizon Wireless and you're driving a GMC and you're going to a place called Starbucks that's inside of Target or next to Walmart, that's what you buy. Buy something that you use every day. Just open yourself up to the to how to purchase a stock and the other thing it does even if you invest thirty dollars in a stock you'll look at thirty dollars differently the rest of your life you'll be like hold on a second now i could i can buy everybody pizza here or i can buy another share of uh, of king super's grocery store which is going to make me at the end of the day ninety dollars so you just automatically by purchasing one share of one stock and something you use every day you just become you give yourself an education in the world of wealth right away. Yeah, man, that's awesome, Ryan. Um, I think that's helping people shift gears from thinking like a consumer to thinking like an owner. And in order to create wealth, you have to be the, be an owner, whether it's an owner of stocks or real estate um, or whatever whatever that is, a business. Um, that's kind of step one. And, and a great way to dip your toe in the water is to just buy one individual stock or, you know, a lot of these apps nowadays like Acorn and Robinhood and whatnot, you can go on and buy even a piece of a stock. If you like Apple and you can't afford a $280 share price, you could buy, you know, a piece of it. So, you know, uh, you know, I think that's super critical to that, but they're, they're, like nowadays we're so lucky. Like there are so many resources that people have access to 
that you can educate yourself on, whether it's listening to podcasts like this and, and listening to things that Ryan puts out, you know, through his, his business and all the speaking stuff that he does. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of other great podcasts that I can share that we could add in the show notes, Holly, um, you know, or books that you can read. Um, that will help get you started. But then to Ryan, I think what Ryan mentioned was probably the key is just to get started. Like just, just do one simple action. And I think that'll snowball from there for you. Yeah. yeah Imagine I think, it, I think it's great. Talking, talking to someone like you, I mean, you, you have a connection with our golf professionals, right? Um, and I'll, and I'll be fair, you know, be, and I think we talked about this before. There's a lot of people out there that think financial advisor, that's for rich people, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, and, you know, I, I don't make enough money. You know, he wouldn't want to talk to me. He, he, I, you know, I'm the little guy. Um, I, it's, it's, and I've learned from you, it's just not true, right? I mean, your your goal, I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of money to invest with you, Matt, and you know that, but your goal is to help me become financially literate so that maybe one day um, I will be in a position um, to, to invest more money with you. And, I, and um, I think there's a lot of people out there like that if you would just give them a chance. <laughs> Yeah, man, I agree. I think that's definitely a big misconception, um, you know, that, that you need to, uh, you know, be a millionaire to, to work with a financial advisor. That's certainly not the case. Um, it wasn't the case with me when I hired my first financial advisor, you know. Um, and, you know, there's still plenty of people who are out there that can give their time for free where you can go listen to webinars or listen to things or talk to people. But, you know, like speaking for me personally, like I'm happy to, to chat with anyone for free and just give them some basic advice or, or happy to help in some other capacity or point them towards resources um, that they can get started with. But, yeah, there's plenty of people out there that, you know, uh, you know, are willing to help. And I think you just be open and upfront when you talk to this a financial advisor, whoever it is about, this is where I'm at. This is what my expectations are. Don't be embarrassed. Like I, I think some people get are embarrassed or scared to talk about their financial situation and don't be right. I mean, that's, that's burying your head in the sand is not going to make it better. And I think if you can lead, like leading other people is, is so important to your financial success and the people you surround yourself with is so important to your financial success. So, um, certainly lean on, on whether it's the, the head pro at your course, like you did Keith, or, you know, your parents or other advisors or whatever um, is critical. And just getting that information, like Matt's talking about, you know, in NFL locker rooms, you get USA Today every day. And every single day, you know, the front page and the sports is gone. But every single day, the money section was left there. I mean, I'm in a room with 50 millionaires and nobody's reading the bleeping money section. Like just read it, man. You know, like, um, so I always had, you know, they'd always say, uh, you know, Oh, Ryan's reading the paper again, but yeah, cause dog, I'm learning about money. Like whatever it is that that's stopping you from starting or reaching out to somebody. Okay. Know that other people have been there, but even just saying, okay, if you want to get into real estate, how do you start real estate? What's a good real estate investment? If you want to be a millionaire, how to become a million, just Google these things. I mean, the information, like Matt said, that we have is incredible. But just even learning about it can can be a seismic shift in your financial future for the rest of your life. And I really, you know, you have to empower yourself, right? I mean, easy choices equals hard life. Hard choices equals easy life. And whether you're training for the next football season and it's, you know, uh, May and you don't have to work, do much, but if you're in the gym at 6am working your butt off, it's going to make your football season that much easier. 
Same thing if you're preparing for your, your, uh, you know, a big golf tournament or something. And just with life in general and finances, if you can make some of those hard choices today, whether it's have a roommate to help keep your rent low, or it's to take 3% of your pay and put it in your 401k, like, you know, those hard choices today are going to make your life much easier later. They're going to help you navigate these things. Like when we have a COVID pandemic or a financial recession, or you lose your job, whatever, like, like that's super, super critical. Definitely. Both of you mentioned different ways to get into finances or different ways to manage it. You both mentioned um, digital ways. I swear I cannot turn on the TV or I cannot open up an internet browser without seeing an ad for some new app that's here to help you invest or an E-Trade app or something to get you in. You know, as much of a digital age as we live in, obviously we're doing a digital podcast right now. Um, what what role does that digital world play? Does it make it easier or does it make it harder and more confusing, do you think? Yeah, I think it makes it easier. You know, one thing Matt's, you know, said and, and Keith, you mentioned it. When you talk about finance, you're gonna lose ninety-five percent of the people right away. I'm talking about money, man. Let's talk about money. Everybody can talk about money. And the digital age has brought us so much closer to receive information the way we want to. If you don't wanna sit in a seminar at a financial institution, okay. But there are millionaires all around who have put out content, Matt, myself, and who are talking about concrete ways, behavior-wise, you can change. Think about income. If you want to buy a house, great. Can you buy a duplex? You know, these are all things that in the fields of financial literacy, and talk. you're talking about money. And that can really, that is easier with the digital world, in my opinion, because you have people of a variety of different backgrounds where you can see yourself and then listen to their message in the way you can absorb it. Yeah, I love that. I, I agree. I think in most respect, it's, it's much easier. It's also a lot cheaper, you know, like Ryan mentioned about going to buy, you know, a stock, you can do that for free in a lot of these, these apps nowadays, whereas before you'd have to pay commissions and brokerage fees and, and whatever. And, and a lot of that's just free. And so thanks to the digital age, you know, it's made it, um, you know, for the everyday person to be able to get access to some of this stuff and even starting to invest in, in things that are maybe like alternative type investments that we won't necessarily chat about today, but things that are maybe a little bit non-correlated or diverse, like, like real estate or whatever, like you can start investing in some of these different things in different ways that wasn't possible until technology happened. I also think, you know, there is so much um, information out there that it can, you, you have to be able to drown out some of the noise as well. And you have to, you know, I think pick a mentor or two or, or someone to lean on that you can, you know, uh, get gain from their perspective. Um, but I think overall it's, it's significantly easier for people to get started. I, I want to piggyback though on what Matt said to find a mentor. That's what was huge for me. I, I asked my lawyer, I said, I really want to learn about money. You're wealthy. T tell me what to do. He said, you need to talk to my wife. She's the smart one. She's a professor of economics, you know? And so she taught me about a peg ratio and how to go online and, and open an e a Scott trade account. And one of the things that is so important is why Matt and I are here. People who are wealthy want you to be wealthy. My community is safer the more ownership there is. We make better decisions when we are not in a scarcity mindset. So know that every person who, who really is wealthy, not rich, trying to show you how rich they are, wealthy people want you to have wealth as well. 
we want you to be successful because ultimately that makes us successful because we've been owning the stock and the phones you're going to buy or, 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 or the companies that are going to build the lumber for your home. But we also want you to feel this sense of security, a sense of security that's attainable for everyone, no matter what amount of money and what career they're in. Finding a mentor or two, like Matt suggested, is paramount to overall life success, not just your money success. I love that, Ryan. And, you know, I think, too, being golf professionals, you have a really unique opportunity to leverage or capitalize on that. I mean, whether you're, uh, you know, a lot of people who play golf typically have, you know, wealth or have access to that in some capacity. So find the, the member of your country club who you identify with or you feel comfortable talking to you know, and lean on them to get some advice. And I think like Ryan said, people are really open to wanting to help, especially I feel like in Colorado, like we're pretty lucky that it's a very collaborative community. And um, I think people want to help in general. So, you know, uh, don't hesitate to ask about that. It's something I wish I would have done earlier. Um, uh, but, uh, you, you know, certainly take, take advantage of that as a golf pro. Cause I think people who have owned a business or who, who are wealthy, like, you know, they love golf and they admire you as golf professionals. they look up to you. They're like, I wish I could shoot 68 sometime. Or I wish I could break par or whatever. And so they're like, just as enamored with you as you are with them in a lot of ways because of your talent. Um, and so, uh, de definitely leverage that, uh, your, your golf ability. It's helped me build my business and my, my career, my, my, uh, et cetera. So. Yeah, we definitely have a commodity. So, you know, I'll trade you lessons if you teach me how to make my fortune. <laughs> I can honestly say I've done that before. <laughs> I have traded golf lessons for advice for, um, you know, different guidance and stuff for my membership, because you're right. Um, you know, people want you to be successful and your friends want you to be successful. Your family wants you to be successful. Your members want you to be successful. Like everybody wants to know that the, the professionals at their club are well taken care of. So I think that's a great point. We all got to get to that point where, you know, it's the, the rich guy cashes the check, but the wealthy guy signs it, right? We got to get to, got to get to sign the checks. That's right. Hey man, there are always levels. You know, you like a Mercedes Benz, cool. There's a Rolls Royce out there. You like a, the Rolex, great. They got Cartiers and Hublots. So don't get lost in your station because there's always another level. Yeah, I love that. So, um, thank you all for making some great points. I think I personally learned a lot. I think our listeners are going to be able to take a lot of pieces of advice away from this, um, regardless of their situation. So Ryan, Matt, Keith, thank you all for joining the Elevation Series podcast. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Um, and we look forward to watching your success and maybe having you back in the future. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you Holly. Thank you, Keith. Take care, guys. Thank you very much.